A life without love, that's terrible. No, being on the street, that's terrible. No. Love is like oxygen. What? Love is a many splendid thing. What? Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Please don't start that again. All what? you need is love. A girl has got to eat. All you need is love. She'll end up on the street. All you need uh is love. Love is just a game. Everything's going so well here in podcast. <laughs> We're back. Hey, everybody. Hey, Brandon. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm great. My good friend across the way here, uh, Brandon Regina McMen. That's not even close. Not even... <laughs> Listen, Kyle Eleanor Radford, you just you just keep these middle names where they should be. That's all I'm saying. Hello out there and welcome to Second Best Picture Podcast, a podcast about movies and podcast about uh, Best Picture nominees. We're so glad you uh, chose to join us this week as we kick off a new series. Exciting. Yep. Season two. We're going to call these. Let's call it seasons. We're in Let's season it, two man. already. We were renewed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're uh, uh, we're kicking off the we, we've really left 1994 in the past and now we're to start talking about movies that came out in the year 2001 and brandon what do we do when we talk about uh, movies on this podcast glad you asked good sir here at a second best picture what we do is we take a year of when films were released so it's important to say when we talk about the year of 2001 it's films that came out then so it's going to be the 2002 oscars but we take each film that was nominated for best picture we take a look at it we cut it up we have our thoughts how we come into it all that good information and then at the end we have an oscar spectacular episode and we decide what the academy got right what they got wrong and what they truly missed the mark on what they just totally whiffed the ball you just know swing and a miss went whizzed right down their legs um <laughs> yeah that's right uh, i want to say thanks to everybody who is liking subscribing following us um you can always go to our website secondbestpicture.wordpress.com um email us secondbestpicture@gmail.com or on facebook instagram youtube twitter everywhere um at secondbestpicture so you know like subscribe follow us we we uh we post some fun things every now and then post some not fun things every now and then depending uh, on my mood that day but uh, yeah, we appreciate it. But let's get going, man. I want to. I want to get into a, a. I feel like we're in the modern era now. Like we're we're past movie. We might actually cover some movies that I saw in the theater. At this dude, point. I can't wait for you to start a story that way. Quite <laughs> wouldn't frankly, it, wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be something? <laughs> Maybe it's this episode. We'll find out. Um, but no, today we're talking about the uh, musical classic. To some, Moulin Rouge. Well, it's got a it's got an exclamation point at the end. So, Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Do you have to say it like every time you say well, that? You know, I, that kind of thing. I respect the punctuation. I don't know about you. Look at you. Okay, I'm in. All right, uh, I'll go with it. But no, this is um, directed by Boz Lerman, Australian writer director. Um, he was the, this the the final film in what he calls his Red Curtain trilogy, which yep. isn't a true trilogy in the sense of the movies don't have anything to do with each other but um it's all aspects of theater theater motifs so his first film was i think back in 92 called strictly ballroom it's yep. about dancing have you seen strictly ballroom 
I have not. I've heard great things, but it's I it I never saw it. Me too. And I was gonna watch it in preparation for this, and I I didn't because <laughs> I don't do my homework. Uh, so I remember the first episode when I like read an entire book for our first movie we did, and now I'm like, oh, I could watch it. This is cool. like this is the Kyle I'm comfortable as like my project partner. When you were coming in hot, like, okay, well, I tell you what's what's different about that in the book. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is gonna work out. <laughs> this, this, no, don't worry, I'm way past that. Now I'm just I'm not even looking at what year it came out. I just know there's a movie about ballroom dancing called Strictly Ballroom. That was his first. The second was Romeo and Juliet which yes. uh, came out when we were in high school. So yeah, that was huge. We definitely saw that one. I'm sure you saw that one. I know I saw it. If, it was so, weird, but I, I dug it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know. Yo, I dug it too. Uh, I haven't revisited it in, I mean, 20 years, but I remember enjoying it at the time. So that, mm-hmm. that, that movie focused on language poetry. Cause it was in the original Shakespeare. It was in the was original Shakespeare. Such a novelty. Like no one ever seen that trick done before. It, it, it but, but in a modern setting. Uh, yeah. 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 And completely negated any high schoolers need to ever watch or ever read that story or th- that poem. Absolutely. When you didn't have to watch the one from the sixties anymore, you could just watch uh, Leo and uh, Claire Danes, right? Claire Danes. I, I like the one from the early eighties where uh, Alan Rickman plays Tybalt and it's like shot on, they literally film it on a stage, but it mm-hmm. looks like the backstage of a PTA meeting early 81. <laughs> and he is like a baby and like no one else could act in this thing except uh-huh. it, except Hans Gruber. Is yeah, like, you got Professor should, Snape there. Yeah, you know so, he's Tibbles to me. Yeah, to me okay. that's Romeo and Juliet. So, and I think Tibble in uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet was John Leguizamo, who shows up again in today's movie Moulin Rouge, the last in his trilogy, focusing on song. So it's a cool concept for a trilogy. Um, it is to, to have you know movement song and and uh and language so but you know that's kind of he's this big australian guy he wrote this as well he co-wrote it with a guy named craig pierce who he met i think in college um mm-hmm. who he's co-wrote everything with craig pierce except he did australia um i think after this was kind of his his next big movie was an Australian epic australia he uses australian actors for this stuff australian editors and cinematographers i mean he's he is keep Bos Lerman is keeping the Australian film industry in business. Exactly. Uh, Can I say just for a second, Craig, yeah. we mi- we missed you on Australia, buddy. Somebody we, needed we, to get in there. We could have used we could have used the second second hand, set of hands there. Buddy. He was busy writing Charlie St. Cloud. I don't know if you saw that one, Zach <laughs> Efron. <laughs> I did not. Wow. We didn't need him. Um, Maybe stick with the dancing and the words and the musics, you know, yeah. the movements you exactly. know. Go back to the ballroom. Go back to the red carpets. Uh, Lerman said this this was kind of inspired by I mean, there's all sorts of influence in this movie. Uh, it is it is all over the place, um, but it was inspired by La Boheme, Puccini's mm-hmm. La Boheme, the opera, which he had directed at the Sydney Opera House back in the early 90s. And if, and if you look at this thing and and look at like Rent, which is La Boheme, there is mm-hmm. so much similarity in these two stories. You've got the, you know, the artist, the bohemian lifestyle um the love interest is sick there's yep. this magic song at the end that brings the lovers back together um this magic song doesn't s- save her life like it doesn't rent spoiler alert sorry Please, sorry man. sorry yeah i mean i don't think mimi makes it much longer after the song is is sung 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> no, they just start dancing. I'm thinking a trip to the ER, but I mean, I know it was like pre Giuliani, New York, so maybe medical care wasn't that great for a heroin addict. But just putting it out there, maybe we should have gotten her some attention. Uh, not to get too much into this, but the magic song in this movie is much better than the magic song in Rent. I think that song is <laughs> one of the worst songs in that musical can <laughs> come what makes a good song in my opinion. So uh, much, yeah. much better. It, it had a better chance of saving her life. Let me say that. So just uh, say, when you, when you finally have cardiac arrest, I'm just going to stand over you and sing Santa Fe as loud as I can and just hope for the best, buddy. Oh, that's how that's going to go. And he, he somehow he <laughs> died more. <laughs> uh, you know, the older I get, the less I like rent. Uh, it's just I I I just keep screaming at the screen. Get a job, <laughs> uh, which you know you could you could probably say that for this as well. And then also, uh, Lerman was in India scouting uh, locations for something and saw uh, a Bollywood movie. You know, a three and a half hour long Bollywood movie, and was just enamored by it and loved it and said, "We need to we need to do something like this." Yeah. Um, His idea was, can I make this happen in the West where I didn't know the language, but I understood exactly the plot type thing. Can we do that where what they say is important, but there are other things that tell the audience the story as well. Right. And you've got again, high concept, super high concept. You've got, you know, slapstick humor over the top, broad humor paired to next to singing and dancing, mm -hmm. dance numbers out of nowhere, high melodrama. Mm-hmm. Um, and then epic run. And he could, yeah, he <laughs> wanted to know, could, could that be done in the West? And yeah. I mean, say what you will about Bos Lerman. And I feel like we may say what we will, uh, about Bos Lerman. This guy has a vision for what he wants and yes. I, he executes what he wants on. Film. Yes. Like he absolutely brought that idea after reading that. I was like, that's absolutely what this is. Like mm-hmm. he did that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a throw the cap over the wall and then go get it moment. And to me, this guy wasn't the world's most successful filmmaker at the time. I mean, right. Romeo and Juliet had hit. Romeo and Juliet. I mean, Romeo that, and Juliet got him this because he yes, was successful. Yes, but to go like, oh, I get one bite at the apple. We're going to push all our chips in on this zany, crazy idea I have. That's, I mean, the guy's got guts. I'm not going to fault him in any way, shape or form on that one. And they gave him $50 million. Uh, I mm-hmm. think this was Fox. Honestly, I didn't, <laughs> didn't look that up. I think I remember it's this 20th, 20th century Fox logo. You know what? Yeah, it is. I watched it on Hulu. So dun, it was dun, definitely dun, Fox dun, dun, because uh, <laughs> Disney bought that and put it on Hulu. So he, they gave him $50 million. It was kind of a, we talk about movies going in turnaround and these mm-hmm. hectic shoots and all that. It really wasn't that. I mean, from what I've read, it was just kind of a, you know, shot, shooting ran a little long. I think Nicole Kidman got hurt a few times, but mm-hmm. you know, it there didn't was lose funding, the, nothing like that. No, there was an issue with the physical studio they were in because they had to be out right. in time for Star Wars. Which Second, also Star Wars too. Ewan McGregor, mm-hmm. right. yeah. So he didn't have to move. His, he could, no, he was good. He just had to get his so, little braid in his hair. Now nah, there's a second one, man. By then, he just sported the. Uh, if you look, Christian in the beard there, mm-hmm. you know when he's narrating. Uh huh. That's oh, like, he getting, he's getting uh, that's Anakin, Anakin man. Not, yeah, not Anakin, not Anakin, uh, no, Obi-Wan. No, he's Obi-Wan. getting Obi-Wan already. Oh, you just oh, lost all so internet. We have to delete this from the internet people. now. Oh, my God. And so, it, so he wrote this, the Moulin Rouge, an actual place in France, um, actual mm-hmm. actual theater with can-can dancing and all that. He based, a lot of these characters were kind of based on real-life characters. Um, Satine was based on a French can-can dancer. 
that was famous, made famous in Toulouse-Lautrec paintings. Toulouse-Lautrec, yep. Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec is actually a character in the movie. Um, Harold Ziedler's names taken from Charles Ziedler, an actual owner of the Moulin Rouge. So there's there's reality sprinkled into this story. It's not just based on on uh, you know La Boheme, and it's also yeah. Orpheus and Eurydice based on that as well, which they yeah, turned into was one more turned too. into Hades Town. Yeah, they did. Not, ooh, that thing is great. Um, they took kind of the germ of those ideas, a little bit of truth and history, and hyper realized it just across the board. Like yeah. just the idea of the the story, the the the, the interconnectivity of the characters of these people, this whole idea. When you think about 1900 in Paris, like this, this was definitely a new concept, new idea. It did not do that well. Um, the first, the first week. Did you know what what it what it went up against the first week it came out? I think this is really interesting. It, no, it, I read that. What was it? It came in number four. First of all, its first week in wide release in the U.S. Behind Pearl Harbor, um, Shrek, and The Animal. Rob, <laughs> Rob Schneider's The Animal. Uh, I don't think that one was nominated for Best Picture. We'll, we'll get. Uh, we might get to it this season, but uh, I don't think. It I was hope nominated. so. I really but it, it was, do. But it was big in the UK. Um, <laughs> but it, it had legs. I mean, this thing. It, it, it got it number grew. one, didn't it? I mean, it, it oh, it, yeah. I think it. I think it got there eventually. It was. It was number one in the UK. It, then it mm-hmm. was nominated for. Um, it did so well that summer that they said, "Hey, let's let's try a for your consideration campaign for this thing." Mm-hmm. And yeah. sure enough, it was nominated for like eight Academy Awards or something like that, and 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 you know, won a few too. So, it's a jukebox musical, which normally I can't stand jukebox musicals. I love musicals, but I do not like jukebox musicals, which is a musical using non-original songs, what songs yeah. from you know a lot of times repurposed. It's, yeah, and but a lot of time it's it's repurposed Just, from a specific artist, you know, telling yeah, the, the story of the artist, you know, you think right. Ray, you think Jersey you know, boys. Walk the line. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then you've got like rock of ages, which is very much in this vein of taking different types of songs from an era, like hair metal, and then yeah. forming the musical around that rock of ages, which I turned off because I thought was so bad. Um, <laughs> but so this, this is, there is one original song come what may um, kind of the big, uh, magic song that we were talking about, but other than that, yeah. it's a really eclectic mix of music for this. Yeah, it's it's all over the place. It really is because they take the 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 idea not to get too far ahead of ourselves in plot and whatnot, but music serves as um, not, not only just the telltale genius of, of the character of Christian, but also the conduit for the plot. Like you know w- what these characters don't say, they sing, and what the songs around them do. I mean, well, that's a, that's a musical, the, right? When the background chorus has just as much to say than 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 the main people. Well, it's yeah. almost like a Greek chorus, right? And you yeah, using yeah, yeah. that the music, but then mm-hmm. you know the whole point of a musical is right. The emotions are so big that you have to sing it instead sure. of instead of speaking it. That's where the emotion comes through, not just in the words that are being said, but in the whole feeling and 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 that's a big part of this. And that's part oh, of yeah. the Red Curtain trilogy. You know, that's the that's the theatrical aspect of this the um you know announcing everything in song and using that to tell the story and yeah to do that they go from david bowie to nirvana and madonna i mean it's it's it, yeah i mean queen to um the police yeah um, it's all over the place it's all over the place and and all repurposed in in interest interesting ways and i'm not to i don't mean interesting to give my opinion of it but i mean 
it's not like when they do Roxanne, it's done as a tango. It's not sung yeah. as in the style of Roxanne, you know, so they're yeah, yeah, repurposing yeah. these songs in, a, in yeah. a different way to present them. Um, but before we get, I mean, before we jump into it too much, Brandon, I think it is your week to give us the quick and dirty rundown of what is Moulin Rouge about. It is. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Here we go. In 1900 in Paris, idealistic writer Christian embarks on a quest of love, writing, and most certainly a venereal disease. If you've ever done mushrooms, this is going to feel just like home. Wonderful. And drug <laughs> reference and, and VD in there. That's great. Well, in honor of Boz, I wanted to swing right for the fences. So uh, it, was, it was big. It was big. Yeah. Uh, the IMDb breakdown, a poor bohemian poet in 1890s Paris falls for a beautiful courtesan and nightclub star coveted by a jealous duke. Um, so yeah, I think they didn't, they left out the, mirror the mushroom, images. I mean, yeah. potato, potato. Come on. Uh, yeah, it, it's about a guy that falls in love with a hooker. <laughs> he moves to the big city uh, his father tells him not to because he's gonna fall fall in with a can-can dancer and he does even worse than that he falls in with a hooker yep roll credits <laughs> <laughs> it stars nicole kidman um fellow australian nicole kidman ewan mcgregor plays christian the wide-eyed uh, love interest um John Leguizamo, we said, is in it. He's Toulouse-Lautrec. Jim Broadbent is Harold Ziegler, the owner of the Moulin Rouge. Richard Roxburgh is uh, Rox- Roxborough. Roxburgh. I think it's Burr. Is it, Roxburgh? Is it Roxburgh? Okay. Yeah. Well, Richard Roxburgh plays the Duke. Uh, I the love Duke. the character so evil. He's just the Duke. Um, and then and there's <laughs> lots of other you know folks kind of pop up. Um, you, you look at this and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like basically if they if you're an Australian actor, you were in Moulin Rouge. Um, yep, I, don't, I kept yeah. waiting for Hugh Jackman. There was no Hugh Jackman. I don't know how Ewan McGregor got in there. I know that uh, DiCaprio auditioned and didn't get it. Yeah, I don't think he can hold it, hold a tune. Well, yeah, I don't think he can. Um, and they considered Heath Ledger, so they tried to get an Aussie in there and Jake yeah. Dylan Hall. Apparently, um, Heath was so cheesed about it because they deemed him too young for the production that when it came time to make Australia, he told Boz, Nope, we ain't friends no more. Well, you know, when I read when I read this list. Except for Ewan McGregor, they all seem too young. I mean, he seems, and, and yeah. he may be their contemporary. I, I, I think he probably is right. He's probably about five years older than DiCaprio or something. And he's probably about a decade older than Gyllenhaal. Um, yeah. But like Gyllenhaal seems way too young because he's doing Donnie Darko around this time where he's playing a high schooler. Ewan McGregor's yeah. already done train spotting. You know, he did train spotting five years before this or whatever. Like that makes more sense to me than he, he's already had the yeah. first Phantom Menace or the first Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, it's hard to take your mind out of anything else, but the role of Christian needs to be wide eyed. So I think they had a little room for youth there, but I do agree. I think Joan Hall would have been way too young. I think he's, I mean, Heath Ledger at this point, are we talking like Patriot Heath Ledger? Yeah, that would have been Patriot. Mm-hmm. Like that's still a pretty young, fresh faced guy, you know? And yeah. also do we know, I mean, did he ever sing? Do we know? Could he hold a tune? Uh, he couldn't intend things I hate about you. Oh, that's right. He did do that. Brandon, how do you what, what's your relationship with Moulin Rouge? Well, on tonight's very special episode of Second Best Picture, buddy, you showed this one to me. I had never seen Moulin Rouge until you were like, "Oh, you got to watch this. You're going to love it." Yeah, you 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 opened the door of of happiness and mushroom and you know fused epileptic seizures into my life. So was it when we started to get into musicals? You and um, I, and I was like, "Oh, well, you got to watch this one." No, this was, we were still trying to, we were going tit for tat on, all right, if I watch your movie, you got to watch my movie. 
Okay. Like, remember when I like? Well, then I probably had I'm, to watch Sahara or SWAT or something because of this. Well, I made you watch. Uh, what's the the? I made Man on Fire, and you made me watch Amelie. Which, if you look at those two movies, <laughs> and folks, this is where we were in like oh three. <laughs> like, well, that is just a perfect distillation of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but we got into this idea of like, well, we, maybe we need to see the other side of the street. So, okay, what else you got? And when you were like, you got to watch Moulin Rouge. And I didn't want to because I remember the previews and I remembered. Um, no, I had to drug you pretty good to get you to watch it. Yeah. I mean, it, nothing about this made me want to. And I wasn't a huge uh, Nicole Kidman or Ewan McGregor fan at the time. So I wasn't like, well, at least I'll enjoy that. Um but yeah, that's that's how I was I was brought to the fold by I'm guessing I made you watch something like SWAT or something like that. Sure. Yeah, I would think so. And and what and when you watched it, you didn't like it, I assume. Um, back then in 2000 and whatever. In 2000 and whatever, I liked. This is I mean I'm going to get into this later. Okay. There are parts of this film that work very much for me. There are parts that absolutely do not and I think that that's I mean I've I've already said this before on this podcast. Boz Lerman puts everything into a blender and hits liquefy. Mm-hmm. Um there's stuff I I find flashes of brilliance. I find just absolutely maddening flashes of just what the heck are you trying to do here thing. And even on first viewing, I was like, "Ooh, this part's for me. This part is absolutely not." But I'll get into that a little bit more. But that was my opinion of this film, including the research I did for this episode of the podcast, has not varied very much over time. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this would have come out my sophomore year of college. Uh, I did not see this in the theaters. Oh, uh, we were so close. We were so we almost did it. My <clears throat> One of my roommates um, saw it and in the theaters and came back and said, I think you would really like this movie. He said, this movie's so interesting. Like it's all over the place. It's, you know, at some point they're, they, they get swooped up in the sky for no reason. And they're dancing in the clouds and the moon is singing along with them. He's like, it's just, it's kind of crazy. I've never seen anything like this before. So I think we, we might've rented it when it came out. And um, it, it's interesting. This kind of, I think kicked off a little bit of a musical renaissance for me. Um, because around this time, I think I saw Lion King on Broadway, which I, oh, which yeah. I loved. Um, mm-hmm. I know, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou had just come out and I think was mm-hmm. on DVD. I watched that a lot. I had that soundtrack. This came out and I think this is when I started to realize, you know, I like, I like musicals. Like yeah. it wasn't something that I had, had been a part of my life other than things that were produced by Disney. And, yeah. but, you know, this and other, I'm like, Oh, I, I think I really enjoy like musical theater and it, it kicked off something that still to this day I love. Like I love musical theater and I love that's pretty know, cool going to shows. So yeah. I think this was a big part of that. I, we watched this. I mean, we're guys in my apartment in college. We watched this movie quite a bit. We loved it. Uh, and yeah, so I, I'm sure in 2000, whatever, I've tried to make you watch this thinking. I, oh, I, mean, I, I showed this to my parents and that scene. Mm. I remember watching it with my mother. And then the scene where she's rolling around on the ground, uh, you know, seducing him. And I was like, oh, no, what am I doing? Why did I show this to my mom? Yeah, that was a bad yeah, player. Soldier. No, she's still, we haven't uh, we haven't spoken since. Oh, is that that when it happened? That's that was happened. the riff? Wow. Yeah. OK. Well, but, you know, I this learned something new. Musicals weren't really big at this time. This came out. A brother out there came out. You know, the first the, the previous movie that had been nominated for Best Picture that was a musical was Beauty and the Beast. 
Yeah. It had been 10 years or so between yeah. movies. But then you're just, what, a year or two away from Chicago winning Best Picture. So this kind of, you know, kicks off something, I think. This and and not not just this, but there were a couple of them that came out. Yeah, I mean, you're right when you talk about Disney owning the market on the musicals for our childhood. Because, I mean, right. you know, Aladdin's a musical. It just has a lot of cool stuff in the middle of it, you know. Um, yeah, all those, all those, you know, Renaissance movies are. Yeah, it's hard now because even, and we'll get into this as we go in through, but some of the things this film does, like you were talking about, they just dance in the clouds. In this film, it looks like they're adapting a play that never was. You know, like they're creating a scene that like, well, I guess they had to have them on top of the Eiffel Tower because that's what's in the play. No, this is just the choices that they're making in this film. Right. When you watch a movie nowadays, like we'll get to it probably in a, in a later uh, series or whatever. But like nowadays in a, like a La La Land, they take these leaps just and they expect you to be able and willing to come along to them because they're standing on the shoulders of Moulin Rouge, you know. So it's it's interesting watching it this time with a critical eye for preparation. I was like, well, that's hmm, that's going to get paid off later in, in American cinema. That's interesting there, you know, seeing some of the I mean, the risk that that Lerman took and they were risks and you know, still not all of them landed like there. There was a definite shift in how musicals could be performed and given to the American public with this film. I will give him that. And, well, and absolute confidence in what he's doing. I mean, Maybe not, but projected confidence for sure. Because like you said, these are sure. big swings. I mean, the movie's edited within an inch of its life. There's a cut, yes. I mean, all the time. There's overlays constantly of images over other images and and odd musical cues and odd angles and odd edits. And, and I even suggest they have intentional mis-edits to keep trying to throw this idea that you're watching a play at you. Right. You know, they have this like, mm, did someone just say something that they weren't supposed to right there? Just to, th there's nothing about this film that's designed to make you say, okay, I've seen this before. I can relax. It wants you to keep paying attention. Well, and it won it never isn't a movie. Like, you're never not aware that you're watching a movie. It is, it that's is fair. aggressively theatrical. Yes. Um, and it, which, this did come out as a musical in, I think, 2018 or 2019. I think it was 2019. It came out on Broadway. Mm -hmm. um, and it's supposed to be good. I keep waiting for it to come to town. Um, but I wonder, because so much of this movie is that it's a movie. The, the quick yeah. edits, the, the things we're talking about, the effects shots and all that. I wonder how that translates to the stage where it really is just people on the stage. And sure, you can have a lot of chaos on the stage. But you can't recreate what makes this movie this movie. No, it's got to be its own thing. They give you mushrooms on the way in. Seriously, give you mushrooms on the way in. Yeah, so smart. It doesn't really pick up until like Act Two, but brother, it sails when we get there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, Tickets are seven hundred forty-eight dollars. I saw a production of Death of a Salesman where they did that, but now that I think about it, that might just be mm, a guy in the lobby. Mm, 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 yeah, yeah, he did die. <laughs> he sold you <laughs> mushrooms and died. So technically, good plot, but that's not exactly what you were doing that day. All right, so let's. You want to talk some plot? Yeah, let's talk about plot. What happens in this thing? I don't know. It's all over the place. No, Christian, this is a film that. Um, this is a film that became firmly entrenched in Boz Lerman's mind of how to tell an easy way to have an error. Somebody writing a story and tell you the way it goes. Cause we see this again in, in several of his works. Um, but we open, do you, do you like that framing device? The, uh, somebody mm. writing 
it's writing the story that's happening. It's even easy. Yeah. If you're going to have a narrator, have it go all in with it. Goodfellas. That narrator speaks more than the characters on the film, on the, on the, on the screen. You know, Um, if you're going to do a, Oh, I'm writing this story. I mean, it's so Hitchcockian. Let me come in and tell you what happens here. And, ooh, and, that, and so I had to do this. And so, and that's why Satine's like, dude, come on, forget it. We don't need this here. You're kind of getting in your own way. Um, but they come out right away and tell you, I mean, it's, you're in this hyper crazy, realized desolate world of Paris. And he's like miserable. And he's like, oh, I, they even says, you know, the woman I know is dead. That's like, yeah, they, tell you, they tell you right at the beginning, folks, this is not a happy story. So don't get too attached to that idea. Then it gets so Boslermany. And here's my thing. We're, it, it, this is the one film of his that probably works the best with the fast edits and the zaniness and the crazy. And it's just an overload for the senses, sound, sight, everything. If they could find a way to make that screen smell different, they would have. But he's throwing the kitchen sink at you for about 10 minutes. And it's all to get you to the point of when Christian sings when he's with the Bohemians, when he's trying to help them write the play. Right when he does sound of music. Yeah. Yes. Because it's a, it's a comedic it's a comedian's trick. If I just keep building the tension and building the tension, I can let it go with a punchline. This is I will let it go with a beloved known music cue. Well, and I think I think you're right. It definitely does that it starts it starts very soft and somber with nature boy uh the david bowie song john leguizamo singing that and then it gets it, it ramps up and gets to this frenzied pace with everyone talking over each other and then he does belt out the i i, I love that part I, mm-hmm. I like the alternate lyrics of sound of music that they're singing like the it's like the mountains or something and the resplendent her- with the with the voices yeah yeah <laughs> um but then it, it only does that for a, it slows down for an instant and then it's yeah. madcap again yep. up to the point, basically up to the point where they're in the elephant and he starts singing yes. your song like, yes. and then it slows down again. And so that's like the first half hour of the movie is oh, just easy. building, 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 building like constant, constant cuts, constant, uh, loud, fast driving music. Um, I, I love that. I, I I will say I love this movie. I think it's a lot of fun. <laughs> the excess totally works for me. I get what he's doing and I'm on board. I'm I there are parts that maybe a little too much, but for me not even really. Like really? I I am for some reason on board with this movie and I have been since the first time I saw it. Like you, my opinion of this film has not changed. I will say Watching it with a critical but yet open mind, I wanted because I know how I felt about this movie. This is not one I'm like going in blind or whatever. Right. I wanted to maybe even check that out the door and say, okay, let's give this thing a fair shake. Let's look at it from a really critical eye and everything. Let me be fair. There's nothing about this film that's underproduced or poorly done. This is an amazing piece of cinema. Yeah. It's just not for me. And there are parts where I get what he's doing, but I'm like, stop hitting me over the head with it. I don't need four songs for this cut, for this mashup. Two would do, and I only need about three minutes of it. I don't need the full eight-minute mix, you know, of everything. And I and I get it. I get it. It's opulence. It's dazzle. 
but it's confection sugar and it starts cloying my throat after a little while. Oh yeah. I totally disagree. I, I, I think it builds in this, it, it immerses you in this world that is loud and opulent and sexual and unfamiliar like Christian, you're, you know, you're taking that place to where you're confused. The sights and sounds mm-hmm. are, they're great. They're exciting, but they're also a little scary and confusing. And you don't know, are these, are these heroes or these villains or these friends or these, like, wh- who am I dealing with? What kind of world am I getting in? I'm nervous. You can see his nervousness the whole time. I think, I think Ewan McGregor is fantastic in this movie. Um, like I, acting I, or singing. I, both. I like his singing a lot. Uh, like, let's talk about singing in a second. Okay. All right. Sorry. Um, I derailed you there. I apologize. No, no, that's okay. Um, so all that works for me. And it, it, I think I appreciate the, how long it builds and how much it does and how much dancing there is. It's like when you, it's like the musicals from the fifties. Um, like, have you seen white Christmas? The, yeah. I'm not a fan. Yeah. They don't do a two minute song and yeah. dance number. They do a 15 minute song and dance number. Cause it's about, it's not he, just doing it to service the story. It's also look at this large production and we're going to show everybody dancing and we're going to show all these songs because it's, it, it's, see, it's like a taking a break out to see the pageantry of, of all of this. And if you held still long enough for me to see that, I might go along with you on that argument, but it's so many smash cuts and flip flops and just quick edits that I'm like, I, I don't see the pageantry. Sure. Not, not yeah. true in all things in the beginning. Very much so. There are a couple other parts. Like we'll get to, I mean, to me. The editing around. is the choreography uh, in, in that first mm. scene. Like that is it, See, that is the, the movement of its in itself. It creates maybe not choreography in the traditional sense, but interesting images to me that do elicit emotions mixed with the music. Like you're you're more experiencing the movie and letting it. And, and I get it. If that's not your thing, that's fine. But for me, I I may not exactly follow what's going on. I definitely pick up new things every time I see it which is a lot of fun for repeat viewings but it's just eliciting that emotion like the sights and the sounds of of what's happening well to me though i feel like we're filling the bag of atmosphere and like the whole like take his entrance into the moulin rouge we have all this craziness all this stuff like you're talking about he's nervous he doesn't know he's into the people he's with he doesn't really know and they're so comfortable in this crazy crazy life toulouse is just like yes it's great it's great all of this is get to us to worship Satine because that's where the movie slows down when she comes down right. and does her, her scene and diamonds you know, her, are f- diamond. Uh, yeah. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. I want to say diamonds are forever, but that's the yeah. Charlie Bassey. <laughs> the James song. Bond flick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but even the music is like, so almost performed live. Like can, 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 did it, here yeah. we are now. And then hers is this just, okay. You know, it's this, her voice belting over the whole thing coming mm-hmm. out in a different manner and everything like that. So I, I get where we're going, but the lack of subtlety is grating on me at mm-hmm. this point. If, I'm if, like, if I you want it. subtlety, stop. turn it off. This is not my film. Yeah, this is not my film. I even said like in that shot where Harold and Satine are dancing and he's, she's like trying to figure out which one the Duke is and Toulouse grabs a handkerchief. I'm like, folks, that's our plot right there. If you want in-depth hardness, like like that's our that's our plot contrivance. But but that's Shakespeare. That's seconds. opera, right? It's it's no, all, I know. I'm it's saying, all this mistaken identities, and it's stupid but when that's you actually what I mean, think about, like about the lack of subtlety. We don't have that kind of time. This has to be a relatively simple plot because we're gonna delve. We're gonna put all our energies into this other stuff, right? Which is totally okay. It, it just I I got to a point specifically in this watching where, 
And I, I, I was, it was funny. I was talking about this with Kristen because she saw this in the theater like five times. She is a super fan of this. I could see that. And um, she saw Romeo and Juliet in the theater. Like five My times. wife does not like this movie and loves musicals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We married our wives. <laughs> I mean, we um, did marry our wives. No, That's I mean, true. We well our, said, yeah, Brandon. Sorry, well our said. Our wives are each other. No, you know what I mean. Sorry, that, that came out <laughs> stupid. Um, what I was going to say is, I think what gets me is that the parts that work so well for me make me like the parts that I don't like so less. Mm, like I, I get mad at parts of this movie. Right. Uh, yeah. So we meet Satine. She does the, her little breathy diamonds are a girl's best friend. And mm-hmm. then she has the dreaded. It's yeah. the, I have tuberculosis. Like if it's, if it's, if your movie is set in the 1800s or early 1900s and someone coughs into a handkerchief, I'd start saying goodbye. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And, that's so we find out that's how Satine's not going to die in a motorcycle accident. Um, we find that she's dead. It's, it's going to be TV. They're just spoiling the hell out of this character by this point. In the film. She has so much in, in common with Doc Holliday. <laughs> <laughs> he just comes out to I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> but so this is this is um, this is her big number. Let's talk a little bit about this singing. Let's, okay, let's get into that. So. We, we've heard a little bit of Christian. His big song is coming up. Um, but yeah. uh, but Nicole Kidman sings Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend. She is not a singer. I don't mm-hmm. think she'd really done any singing or done much singing before this. Apparently, she took a lot of voice lessons. Um, but she yeah. def- definitely is not a singer. Um, she well, doesn't you know how she got here, right? No. She was, she was trying to get Chicago off the ground. Okay. She desperately wanted Roxy Hart as a role and she had industry clout to maybe get some wheels turning for that. But she was, what the, yeah. The stuff that you're talking about, they're like, can, can, can she sing? Cause Roxy has about seven numbers and two of them are the main area of that film. Yeah. What happened was, is that I think they got, they got some traction on that. And then she was like, cool, we can do it. My schedule, we can do it in 18 months. And Miramax was like, we're not holding production for this. Sorry. Okay. And then Rob, What's his name? Not Rob Moore. Rob Marshall. Rob Marshall. Yes. He came in with the concept of Chicago of it was half in her head and half in real life. And Mirror Max like, we really got something here. We're going. Let's let's just do this. But um, when this came along, she was able to give her clout to this and really get it like fast tracked from what I understand. Well, I know they talked about Catherine Zeta-Jones for this. Interesting. Who mm-hmm. ended up then doing Chicago and winning an Academy Award for Chicago. Um, well, she's but she's a song and dance girl. That girl, right? She can absolutely. Carry a tune. Yeah, absolutely. So, I've always been very harsh on Nicole Kidman's singing in this. For one, because Christian Bale, Christian Bale, his <laughs> name is Christian in the movie. Ewan McGregor um, has a my very is my song <laughs> has a very loud, clear, stagey voice to me. Yes. Like he is. He sounds like he's belting it off the to the, the, to I, the back to the last. Yes, room. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. She's breathy she doesn't have a lot of range mm-hmm. um as you know as a non-singer i mean she's a sick she's more of a singer than either one of us is a singer but sure. not a professional i mean i guess she is a professional singer but but you know what i mean yeah um, she's not a classically trained she's she not a classically trained she doesn't have the voice control you're not gonna she get sounds the, like, she sounds like the youth director's wife let's yeah go, she's let's not gonna release it. a christmas yeah. album <laughs> um <laughs> she's christmas so down under. it's like a beach boys album <laughs> Um, but so I was, 
I've always said that she's not not a very good singer, and I it's my least favorite part of the film. And it used to make me really not like her in the film at all. Mm-hmm. This time, I it was I was really struck again. I didn't think the singing was all that great. I didn't think it was much as much of a hindrance on this viewing as I used to. And I was really struck by what a great performance she gives, acting yeah. completely committed, all the dramatic stuff, all the comedy stuff. Like she is committed to this role and she plays the hell out of it. And so if she's not the best singer, you know, okay. She doesn't have any notes that are off. It's just, she doesn't have the powerful voice that Ewan McGregor has. That's a rough argument to make for a musical man. (laughs) (laughs) She's not a very good singer. Well, that's okay. We're only doing a musical. That's fine. I mean, if we were doing JFK, that would be okay. We're doing cats. That's a problem. But Um, I do think they tailor the arrangements around her limitations. Well, to me, the most noticeable to that, because Ewan McGregor gets about two or three just booming, like swing for the fences songs where he's just, and in one of them, he's even like standing like Jack Dawson at the edge of the Titanic, just screaming his head off. Um, you gotta be a little impressed. I knew that name off the top of my head. Um, sure, that's a word say, for it. <laughs> what I was gonna say about hers though, I, I bumped really hard into her one day I'll fly away. I've always, that's always been my least favorite song in the movie. And I was like, you, you mm, this is Satine's moment. Like, this is her, like, hey, audience, this is my yes. real motivation. Where's my power ballad, man? Like, where's, like, that's the, I wanted, like, I wanted a Stevie Nicks, like, you know, I'm going to do it my way, even something like that. I don't know, but that's I, the I, Disney, that's the I want song, right? They said every, yeah. every Disney princess or whatever has to have an I want song in the first yeah. act that's like, this is, this is what I desire. And it should be to the rafters. And it is not. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know. It's not. She doesn't have and that. The, 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 I mean, it hits that one verse she does high. She belts that one part on the top of the elephant. But before that, she's the tone of that even drops an octave at one point. Well, like Brandon, it's, it's all over the place. She has tuberculosis. She does not have <laughs> the lung capacity to sing these songs. What do you want from her? A, a, a G sharp? I don't know. <laughs> but they, they, it's interesting when they do the love, the love melody medley the love medley yeah. and the elephant and at the end they end with, with i will always love you mm-hmm. he does the high part and she kind yeah. of drops to the lower part of, of the register because he's got the uh you know he's got the better but he's not without his like neither one of these folks are it, it's not hugh jackman and Catherine zeta jones here folks these guys are doing what they can with this because i mean at one point his is the love medley, and then the, the spoiler alert: the magic song at the end when he comes back for "Come What May." His fourth "Come What May." I'm like, ooh, we're stripping neutral. You and I don't know. Question. I Use disagree. Um, oh, I, I, I like, do think there's times he's ma- like he he's, hits high. What Yeah, where he goes high. Yeah. I don't know, but he's like screaming it at the same time. So it's he, very, he, he, he definitely it's very difficult to do. To get higher, he has to get louder. That is that is the yes. way he sings. To get higher, yes. he has to be louder. Yes, I enjoy that. I mean, like, well, it makes it seem like it's a, pro- a live performance. Exactly, Again, it makes you feel. It makes me feel like I'm in a live performance. Designed to make you think you're watching a play. It, there's this. There's a scene where um, it's it's in that song actually, where he walks up on stage and they're kind of backlit, and you can see like the spittle fly out of his mouth as he's singing. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is sitting in the third row in a theater, sure. watching someone belt out a song, seeing the spit literally flying out of their mouth as they're singing, and it it creates that environment for me. So that, yes. and and then you've got the other singers. Um, you've got the Duke who isn't really a singer, but he's, 
I, I think that's the like a virgin is such a fun number with uh, Jim Broadbent and him. I, that's one you hate. I'm sure. I mm. think it's so much fun. Uh, Jim Broadbent is Harold Ziegler. How do you feel about Jim Broadbent as Harold Ziegler? Oh, he's fantastic. Okay. Like, in, okay. He, I was going to come, I was going to, I was going to come across this table. If, if you had a, if you, no, he was too no. much for you. No, no, no. For one thing, they play him. We've talked about this before, like how in a horror movie, someone just shows up in screen and is like really loud. Yeah. Like, timpani drum. Yeah. Like, like Harold does that like five times. Like, Papa, how are we? And she's just like, <laughs> oh, great, Harold. How are you? You know? And they just go. Um, he, the emotional arc, and it's funny, I was talking to Kristen about this. I watched this film the way you watched Four Wings and a Funeral. I watched like the first, well, yeah, always, but the first hour or so, Uh or the first hour and eight minutes, I got us all the way to, um, when Harold discovers they're a couple. Yes. Oh, that's a great moment. And then I picked it up tonight before or for, for, to finish tonight so i watched crazy zany for an hour with a little bit of of ballads and love thrown in and then i picked up tonight with the show must go on and his like to me jim broadbent's delivery of when he comes to her and is is just like he just puts it out there like you have to make him hate you you have to hurt him you have to hurt him to save you. He'll kill him. You're dying yeah, too. Yeah. Like he's he's, he's going to kill him. You're going to die. Like yeah. you have to do this. Like this is the only thing. This is the best. Forget the fact that it gives me exactly what I want because I'm going to be in the deal. I don't have that button yet. But his delivery of that scene, and she's just like, "Oh God, you're messing with me again." He's like, "No, I'm not. This is just the crummy world we live in because we're 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 creatures of the underworld. We shouldn't. You never should have played with this fire. You know, you flew too close to the sun and your wings got burned." You should have known better. Now, now it's time to pay the reality of it. And then I think you get, that's when you get one of the best moments of the film. I think when he sings the show must go on. Yes. Yeah. Like my favorite queen song. Yeah. Um, It is so well done with, as they're getting the stage ready and him walking down. uh, Yes. Through the aisle. And I love it. But to me, like you talked about the like a virgin sequence, how does that fit in a film with the show must go on? Like the, the like a virgin sequence is so silly. It is. It, it's, it got is the, it's got the great like, the, the effeminate waiters like, like dancing but, in the background. They're like they're doing a Bob Fosse 24 they are. chorus. Absolutely. Like, it's all that jazz back there. Yeah, it's totally. What is going on here? And then, I mean, the only thing I can think of is we can show that the Duke only has one facet because his chasing of Harold is just the way he chases Sadine when he's trying to rape her. Like yeah. we're, 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 we're pulling that parallel again, film. I don't need the five minute zany set piece to give me that. And especially uh, the, the Duke is such a fun, good character, except for the times when he's like looking at the camera with them. Cause he's so obtuse the whole time. Why is he talking to our audience? I bumped into that. Well, so, you know, Baz Luhrmann, this is a guy that staged operas, right? Like, they don't just say in an opera, I'm sad, or I'm kind of a creep. They're going to do 15 minutes on it. And I, that's what this is. And you're going to get 15 minutes of broad humor. And I, I think that's a fun diversion. Like, it's all these different types of styles, all these different types of songs, all these different genres and 
presentations of it in this one movie. So you do have the the really silly Bob Fosse with the completely somber The Show Must Go On. And I like all those together. And then uh, the tango. Let's talk about the Duke a little bit. Richard Roxborough, okay. who to me is just a chameleon, this actor. Like, I, I couldn't believe when this came out and I realized that he's the same guy that plays uh, the second heavy in Mission Impossible 2. Yeah, I read you? that. I couldn't remember him. He's the guy that no. um, they cut. He cuts off the tip of Dungaree Scott cops cuts off the tip of his finger with the cigar cutter because oh. he does, like he doesn't. He's got like blonde hair, blonde, uh, short, cropped hair. I'll be I'll be real with you. After the the theatrical, I I gave up on Mission Impossible too. I'm not dead certain I've seen that in about 20 years. Well, so. you you should watch it again just to watch his performance. Be like, oh my god, that's the Duke. And then he was a. Uh, Dracula and Van Helsing. That's the one. I was like, that guy? Seriously? Because that talk about, about a movie. That thing was all. Oh, over that's, the place, a, that's but, a crap on film. And then most recently, Elvis's dad in Elvis. Holy cow, he was, wasn't he? Um, yeah, he's great, and he lets himself be truly despisable and icky right from the start. Like he leans all the way into like it's a little bit funny. That's really funny, you know. Like like oh, stop doing that. Yo, I don't, oh, I don't like this, and I didn't like it. I'm much much less when you did it. I didn't. I get that a lot. Yeah, I'm actually Richard just told me to stop plagiarizing his bits. So. That you know that scene where they do the staging of spectacular, spectacular, trying to get his. I think it's a lot of fun. Where See, they're pulling stuff from the. That's perfect, Bosler and Manzani. That is exactly what that is. That's as as far and as zany as it should be. Okay, because they're seducing the Duke. The idea right. is he doesn't. He's getting a magic trick pulled on him. He doesn't understand what's going on. It moves fast. All that stuff. That is. A, I even wrote it down. I'm like, this is the way it works for me when we do this. So you don't want this movie to be two hours long. You want it to be a tight 90 minutes. I mean, I think that if we trim, there's some fat to be trimmed. Yes, that is a fair argument. Okay. Because. Disagree. I, uh, totally disagree. You're an idiot. But but I understand <laughs> what you're saying. I know that you wanted, you've been waiting to call me that for a while. Now. <laughs> um, the one thing is that so much of their singing and stuff is their motivation. And we kind of lock that in. So, like, I don't need one more song about how we love each other and therefore, like, you guys already did Come What May an hour ago. Like, we know. I, I get it that we're, the plot is, are we wavering? Are we not? Will Satine save, like, hurt yeah. him to save him? All that stuff. Cool. But especially in the second half of this film, the quiet moments work much better than the loud ones for me. The strength then becomes in the, like, Nicole Kidman becomes, like, shockingly good when she is reading herself and then the way she sells that scene, when she hurts him, when she looks him in the eyes, like the truth is I am a courtesan and this is how it worked. Like, I was like, damn, she was like cold in that scene. Yeah. Like that, that she nailed that. He, and, he takes it a little harsh. Uh, I, I have, I have some issues with Christian. D- Christian kind of sucks, right? Well, Back off, bro. Like she kind of like tells you straight, like I'm not that girl. Back up, and then he's like, "No, I'll crawl up under your window." By the way, she's a hooker. Yeah, but (laughs) no still means no. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) This just this movie is about three men controlling Satine. This poor dying woman. She's the only strong one in the room. Like she, she's the one that has to be sacrificed for everything. She's the one that has to make all the tough decisions and show up and basically contrive this guy to do stuff. But and then do the work. 
Yeah, totally. But my thing was when Harold's like, let's see how it's going. And he thinks it's the Duke and her. I'm like, right. how often is Harold looking into her room? He didn't like, have to move that telescope, I noticed. No, no, that, that, was, was, that, was... that was training right there. And I even asked Crystal, like, does she live in the elephant room? And she's like, oh, yeah, she was. Oh, that's ooh, mm, no, mm, no, mm, hard pass. <laughs> There's, there was a couple scenes where I'm like, we're just. I mean, I get it's the theater and apparently everyone's cool with everyone. You know, it's a different life and it's Bohemia, Bohemia and whatever. But there was not a Peace, love, respect given crabs, to... fish or whatever. Crabs. <laughs> and we're back to VD. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I, we kind of went on a little uh, track there. That's not like uh, us. Then. Yeah. But no, I was very impressed with the, uh, the character Satine. I was unimpressed with the character of Christian. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, there was a couple points where I was like, dude, when she when he like breaks down and she's like, you promised you wouldn't. Like, this has been the score since the very beginning. I get it. Like, totally. The woman you love is going to go do this thing. You don't want that. But, bro, you're making it her problem. Like, you kind of got to be the man here. You know? Like, that's yeah. not cool. As a 20-year-old, I don't think I saw how problematic he was. And now I'm like, you know, man, you know what's going on. Like, yeah, you got to toughen up a little bit, buddy. They're like, well, this... if you're gonna if you're gonna swing in this world, I mean, a man's game takes a man's price, but you you don't get to come in here with your ideologically and and idealistic ways and come in there and be like, we're gonna change everything. The power of love. Well, he's paying the bills. So how do you think the courtesan even or the the maharaja even gets in the story in the first place, bro? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I did. I felt. I really. I mean, I found myself feeling bad for Satine. Uh, especially when she has to the scene where he breaks and he's like, because she doesn't love you. I mean, I, I mean, I mean him. Yeah. She has to like, Harold's like tap dancing and she's like, all right, I'll do it. I'll save us again. Fine. You I'll know, go up yeah. and let you guys do one of the best numbers in the whole musical while I'm upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was the inconvenience she was going to suffer for the good of the show. I loved that. I love that sequence. I think that is such a cool staging of the tango and the way it's yeah. cross cut with what's going on between her and the Duke in the tower and him forcing himself on her. And the way it ends in that chocolate, I think his name coming in, knocking mm-hmm. the Duke out. It's just yeah. brilliant. That was a scene that I've grown that sequence. I've grown to appreciate more. I've always loved the tango. I've never really, it never worked for me as well when Christian is outside once because he starts in there mixed with everyone else and he walks through the whole production and walks out the Moulin Rouge and everything else and then she sees him to me I mean now looking back I'm like I think I just have architectural problems with the spatial relations of where all the buildings are because like do they, apparently they all live in this one it's amazing they're all they're all within 20 square feet of each other exactly so how they kept this a secret from the duke this long i don't understand that's a truly blind individual because well, he was he was uh there was that frog that he was running after that one time oh look honey a frog <laughs> And does he step on it? I think he steps on it in that. That's scene. I missed that. Like, just like to be like that much more of a horrible person type thing. But um, I, when we get to Christian outside, him, I never registered it was he was still in pain because he didn't know. Right throughout the end of that sequence, like the crescendo of the music, her terror, the Duke's rage, all these things are happening. Why is Christian screaming too? Was my thing. Seeing it now with a better eye, I'm like, because that's he. It, it's his heart is suffering because right. because of he's experiencing. I get that now, so I much more enjoy that whole sequence now. Which leads us to the finale, um, the staging of spectacular, spectacular, where uh, he comes and he 
pays his whore, he says, which is just mean, just a mean thing to say. I mean, let's let's assume Satine wasn't, you know, just on her death's door. Like, that's going to be a fight, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, he dodged a bullet with her dying right after that thing because they were going to have some words. It was going to be an uncomfortable conversation. (laughs) Um, And then Harold Ziegler gets his hero moment where he he punches out the Duke. Uh, So, you know, I'm kind of you're kind of unsure. I was originally unsure what side Ziegler falls on. So to me, that's a great arc where at the end, he's the one that kind of stands up for her and. I think I, I had this uh, this conversation with Kristen too about the nature because at one point I was positing the idea of would Satine be content if she'd never met Christian because she's getting everything she says she wants she's getting an open night she's going to get this whole thing she's going to do these things would she be like I've got it clocked this is really great too bad right. I'm going to die but that's a whole other issue type thing and then we got to this idea of well what was true happiness if you didn't know this other level and all this kind of thing like that Christian's purity of love brings that into her when others see it Toulouse and then Harold, it elevates their worldview too. Cause before Harold's totally willing to sell her out and be like, you got to get rid of Christian. You got to sleep with the Duke and you got to just, this is what our life is. Deal with it, honey. Now he's willing to break, you know, and, and, and join the sides of angels too. Right. Well, point. embracing the real, the Bohemian, right. The mm-hmm. true, beauty, truth, freedom, and love, or whatever it is, actually embracing mm-hmm. those ideals that they've been talking about. Um, uh, before we jump, because we're jumping here for a second. Yeah. Uh, we don't, we don't necessarily do these things linear, linearly. Not at all. Um, how how great is the, the Duke's line reading of, I don't care about your ridiculous dogma? Yes. And my follow-up, how many times have you said that at Thanksgiving dinners over the last <laughs> two to three years or wanted to let me put it oh yeah <laughs> it's it's a great lie actually that's what i have tattooed on my here on my stomach let me, let me lift up my shirt here see there it is it's in the thug life font it's a, it was a lot to it was a lot to write <laughs> i i think he's a he's a fun character and going from goofy to truly sinister is is played really well and then he and punches I, they punches him and the gun bounces off the Eiffel Tower as it as one does. And here's the movie again. <laughs> yeah, I, um, you hate that, huh? See, I love those excesses. Do you like the moon too singing much. too much? The moon singing I'll go with because we're already dancing on clouds, so we're already out there. Sure. Like in the real world, Harold just punched the guy. The gun went out of his hand to fly off the I'm like, hmm. it's that one take. This is my thing with Lerman. You push it one step too far and now i'm out of it well i agree with that like i didn't enjoy elvis i mean yeah i didn't enjoy australia although australia is out of africa next to this thing subdued um (laughs) i was i was shocked how straightforward of a movie that was i didn't see the great gatsby yeah yeah so i i in theory don't like the excess of baz lerman like I always think this is it's kind of like Wes Anderson to me where mm-hmm. I think he is too precious and I don't enjoy his style and everything's too cute in the same. And then I watch a Wes Anderson movie and I'm like, God dang, that was really good. I really, yeah, I, 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 I don't like Wes really Anderson wa- either. Yeah, I know you don't. Less so with Baz Luhrmann. This movie, it all works for me. And I think that's the performances, the editing. I think the music has so much to do with it because Elvis, these other movies, I Still don't like. I'm like, this is too much. This is 
I, I don't enjoy yeah. all of this. Well, I think that the world that he's trying to create with the just the hardcore, like, you know, the booze, the drugs, the sex, the 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 textured, real, hyper-realized world of this crazy time back in this one little place in Paris. Like, I'll go with you that this should be an alternate dimension. Like, that's the idea. No problem. Mm-hmm. Just stop hitting me over the head with that idea. I'm I'm there, you know, like, knock off. But I will say... We've often said on this podcast that if a film lens letter perfect, if they stick the landing, we'll forgive it a lot. Absolutely. This film gets so close to doing that. And then the ankle gives and they don't they don't nail the dismount. What do you think takes that away from it at the end? Well, this film is relentless in the beauty of the when she turns around, starts singing the secret song. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that whole clip that pretty much from Pretty sure Latouse realizing that Christian's truly in danger on mm-hmm. it's working for me. And when she sings and he sings back and the whole, and I love that sound effect of all the people in the audience. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, looking, not quite gasping, but just the perfect sound the, of them all shifting in their chairs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And he quietly just, come on, you know, and they're all, you know, yeah. that does it for me. And then of course, like her just absolute relief that it's not over, you know, he's back. Like, you know, that he, she plays that so well. When we get to them on stage singing that and the chorus is there and everything is there and it's beautiful. I'm all in. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all in. Except we have to get zany again. Let the, the henchman just walk off stage left and be like, "Ah, I didn't work and go by doing like, he's dancing around the band and we're doing that. 42 seconds between that ending and then her passing out kills it for me. One of my favorite shots in the movie is him dancing through the band and holding up the tambourine as he dances through the band. (laughs) Are you just saying that? No, I love it. You're like, that's my favorite scene of the film, actually. No, I actually, no, hang on. But it wouldn't be this movie if it didn't get a little madcap at the end. I mean, (sighs) But I mean, you're right there. Like you are. It's like I've got a Monet and I'm going to put Elmo in it. Like, whoa, no, one thing doesn't go. Don't do that, man. So what's your favorite um, sequence? What's your favorite musical moment in this? Oh, it's it's a toss up. Mm -hmm. Um, I love when he belts out uh, my gift is my song because I actually I love this version of that song and I like that song anyway. But it's got to be the elephant love song. That medley is that medley is so much fun and yeah. just so much like it's pulling from so many the, the artistry to put that song together, yeah. weaving in all those different songs. I mean, it's it's not just one song; it is mm-hmm. a medley of so many. It's a mashup, and yeah. it gives both of them. I mean, it's a back and forth conversation through these songs. And it show and it works. It, it moves the plot along. He's like, no, 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 we can be in love. And she's like, no, you don't understand. And by the end of course, she's like, okay, well, you can. We can do this type thing. That to me is, um, it's my favorite part, probably that that sequence. Um, it's not the best sequence. I think Roxanne's the best. Roxanne's the best sequence in the film, the yeah. tango. But it's my favorite. That's great. Yeah. How about you? No, I'm I'm kind of the same way. Where I think Roxanne's probably the best sequence but my favorite is the aforementioned show must go on i love i love that moment yeah that is just such an emotional centerpiece of the movie for me there was i bumped hard into one aspect of that 
when they're doing that sequence as he's at the end of the stage by the door and she's walking down through the, the, the audience that's empty, it's empty stage or an empty building, but they have two, I guess, edit overs of his hawker voice. The show must go on. Like, you know, the way he says it when he's doing his can can mm-hmm. stuff. I, I never noticed that before. And I kind of bumped into it because hmm. again, I'm like, I don't need the levity right now. Let the drama go. Let the pathos run the gamut of this scene. You, I, nothing in that sequence, I think. Why did they do that? They should have done this a little differently. With Lerman, it, he could be such a really great distilled glass of whiskey, and we're just pouring way too many different flavors in here. Yeah. So it's diluting my whiskey. He's a, he's a nice scotch that somebody put Diet Coke in. Yeah, you don't do that. You just don't do that. You just don't do that. Well, so would you recommend Moulin Rouge, Brandon? To myself in 2003? No. <laughs> I already did that. <laughs> you already ruined that one for me, buddy. Who would I recommend this? I would recommend this. I think you summed it up very well of the idea of the, the gateway to musical theater. If someone says, I don't like musicals, I'm like, watch me on Rouge. And if they're like, oh, I hated that. I'm like, yeah, musical theater is not for you, pal. I wouldn't recommend this film to someone who doesn't watch film closely. Like this is not a put this on and catch it as you're on your phone or something else. There's too much stuff happening that's not told to you expressly. Yeah, you're you're so, gonna you're at some point gonna look up from your phone and say, "What the hell are they doing in an elephant?" Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I'll totally. say, yeah, if if you are watching this movie, by the point they get to the absinthe trip with the little green fairy, if you're like, "This sucks," you should turn it off. Yeah. Because it's not going to get more palatable. That's the movie. There's such gold to be mined in this film, especially in that last 40 minutes. But you got to wade through some absent trips to get there. You know, like you got to you got to let the film do its thing. That's fine. And I'm not here to redo it for the guy. But man, I would have to me. This is like Batman Returns. We should have gotten an editor that wasn't Tim Burton on this. Like had Boz had a little bit more of a steady hand. This thing could have been great. Well, it definitely is a, a movie with a point of view, with a definite style. I mean, I don't think we're going to watch anything else like this in this series. So I, I think it's pretty interesting. I I wouldn't recommend this to everybody. I think I've got enough. I don't know what the hell I was doing recommending this to you back in 2003 or four or whenever You were it was. on a quest, buddy. You were, you I, were, I was you were mad at you. On those hills. I was getting back at you for some, some crap you'd made me watch, that some John Cena-led movie. Interestingly enough about our time living together... Kyle, anytime he owed me money, always paid it back by throwing it on the ground and screaming, I've paid my whore and walking. <laughs> I still do that. That's how to do at the grocery store. That's, thank <laughs> God for Venmo. <laughs> well, Brandon, let's switch gears um, from movies that I forced you to watch uh, back when we were in our 20s to what you're watching now. We've been well, watching. Ironically, another Kyle Radford recommended film. We watched the documentary uh, Navalny. Is that how I pronounce Navalny. it? Navalny. Yes, Navalny. Oh, man. This is just great stuff, kids. You got to watch this documentary. Uh, yeah, um, Oscar winner for best documentary this at this year's Oscars. I found myself like my heart was breaking and I was getting so angry at this right. thing. It's For those of you who don't know, it's about the guy that challenged Putin and he had um, he was poisoned. He was uh, he left Russia for a while. It's it, it's a very well done film. It's not. It's it's not a laugh or riot. I mean, it's a very it's a documentary, so it's it's very much like this is what happened, and this is what happened, this is what happened. Very informative, but it's so well done, and I was I was enthralled the entire hour and a half. It was wonderful. 
Yeah, I wanted to know. I think it's really good. I want to know more about him. I think he's got kind of a controversial past a little bit, and I think they mm-hmm. kind of gloss over that. And maybe, maybe that's fine because that's not the story they're telling. It's not really him. Um, one of the tensest scene I saw in a movie last year was when he's on the phone to trying yeah. to talk to the people that poisoned him. Like yeah. that is brilliant that they had the coverage of that. And yes. Yeah. Pretty incredible to watch play out in real time. Yeah, that's a good one. And to watch his reactions compared to the other four people in the room with him, I was like, and this, I mean, this is an actor. There's just a guy experiencing this in real life. Yeah. I mean, it was like mind blowing. Absolutely. So, yeah, that was, we watched that one. Um, it's funny. Since we started this podcast, I, I'm not watching as many movies as I used to because, you know, we have stuff to watch. But yeah, that one we made time for. And it, nice. it was on your recommendation, buddy. Oh, well, look at that. You're welcome. Way better than Moulin Rouge, by the way. Wrong, false. There were there was there wasn't a single dance number in that movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot that was where our litmus was. <laughs> How about you, sir? Uh, well, you know, I, I also watched kind of a somber, important, you know, movie. I saw Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. <laughs> I actually went to the movie theater and saw oh, it. Look uh, at you. Uh, you know, it is so much fun at the movies. I, I was really worried at first. I think I saw that first trailer. I'm like, oh, is this gonna be any good? It's fun. Like they're having a they're having a great time. Chris Pine is at his piniest. Um it's <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun cast. I mean, if you've played Dungeons and Dragons, it I think game mechanically it might not make a ton of sense, but they do so well to honor the game. Yeah. But not yeah. just from an insider perspective. Like anyone, this movie is so accessible. Anybody could enjoy this. It's really funny. It's got great action. It's got fun set pieces. But it it does honor the traditions of D and D. If if you are into that, so that's cool. Yeah, it's it's that's a lot cool. of fun. I think you'd enjoy it if you saw it. Um, yeah, I, I definitely recommend it to people. Not everybody. I, I'm not gonna. I, Kayla shouldn't watch it. My wife yeah. would not enjoy this movie at all. But. I know a lot of people that would. It's just a it's just a fun time at the movies and you know they can't all be Russian crime documentaries. <laughs> I saw the trailer for that one. I'm like, this is either gonna really stink or it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. So it it, yeah. it, it could have gone either way, and luckily it went it went the positive way on that one. Cool. Awesome sauce. All right. Well, Moulin Rouge in the books. Um we we didn't we didn't sing enough. I felt like we could have sung more in this episode. I tried. I did it's a little bit funny and nope, you got really stop. mad at me. Mm-mm, nope. Oh, oh my gosh, don't do that. I have to sleep see? later. Don't do that. That's, that's, mm-hmm. uh, but see, that's that's why you didn't get in more songs, buddy. But we're gonna plow ahead with the films of two thousand one that were nominated um after that for Best Picture. Next week we are doing if you're a fan of Downton Abbey, guys. This is this is my lead into this. If you're a fan of Downton Abbey and you're also a fan of people talking over each other constantly, um, a Robert Altman film, Gosford Park. It's a, a British mystery type movie. Um, it should be really interesting to talk about it. We definitely haven't done anything like this one before, so that'll I'm be a, yeah, that'll that'll be a lot of fun to uh, to check out. So we'll be back in two weeks with our take on Gosford Park. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. Instagram, YouTube, check out our YouTube channel. Everything is at second best picture. Email us your thoughts on Moulin Rouge, uh, second best picture at gmail.com. Check out our website. Everything's everything's up there. Again, we really appreciate it. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your loved ones. Um, we appreciate everybody supporting us. Uh, it's been a lot of fun making this. So we're gonna keep plowing ahead. Excellent. Thank you all so much. 